Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Tiasha Zaitz. I hope you're enjoying the summer so far. For me, it's also a time where I look back to see what episodes were most impactful or which discussions were most interesting in the previous year. This one about the position that nurses have found themselves in after the pandemic is definitely among them. So let's dive in. This episode originally aired in November last year. Enjoy! Nurses play a key role in patient care, but their contribution to patient outcomes is often undervalued and underappreciated. It took a pandemic to create a major shift in their job opportunities and power to negotiate. In the US, many nurses left the profession entirely, others switched to better paid travel or agency jobs. The pandemic is settling down So the question debated in today's episode is, what is the position nurses are in today? You'll hear from Rebecca Love, thought leader on nurse innovation and entrepreneurship, experienced nurse executive and entrepreneur, and Alice Benjamin, nurse, author and health advocate, affectionately known as America's favorite nurse. Rebecca and Alice talked about the position of nurses healthcare technologies that they have to use but are not designed to make their work easier, recent criminal cases against nurses in the US, and what needs to change so being a nurse will be an attractive job opportunity again. Let's dive in, and if you will enjoy the discussion, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast, and subscribe to the podcast to receive the next episode straight to your podcast inbox. First of all, how are you today? How are nurses in 2022? Who's going to start? Alice, go first. <laughs> We've definitely evolved. We are still in a very peculiar space. We're coming out of, we're still in a world pandemic, I will admit, but insert, you know, here in the United States, things have improved, but it's been such a discovery process. Rebecca, I don't know, don't you agree? We In nursing, we were aware of, or what we thought of, our nursing shortage and the culture of nursing. We were already working on things. And then you throw a monkey wrench in there of the world pandemic, and it exacerbates every issue. And I think, although it's been a lot of growing pains, I think there's a lot of new information that's come out of this that's actually encouraged nurses to look at healthcare and nursing from a different perspective. So you're going to see a lot of changes in nursing, as many nurses vacate the bedside, doing direct patient care, entering into other positions of leadership, change, entrepreneurship, management, where I don't want to say in a better place, in a different, def- definitely in a different place. 
I will say that. What do you think, Rebecca? Yeah, I think we're completely different. And Taja, I think you're probably aware there's about 19 million nurses around the world. And an interesting thing is we thought post-pandemic that nursing was going to resolve, get better. But actually, we're seeing the exact opposite. In the United States, a recent study that just came out said that one in three bedside nurses are looking to leave the bedside by the end of this year. That's going to accelerate a one million shortage that we thought was going to hit in 2030 to accelerate now to hit in 2022 at the end of this year. Um, now, and really remarkable, it's not just unique to the United States, but for the first time ever, we had the entire state of Minnesota go on strike in their nursing workforce. We are seeing strikes across Canada. I was just listening to strikes across Africa going on because the truth is that after COVID, the workforce has not gotten better. We just recently did a study through IntelliCare in the long care, in the long-term care space. We said that nurses, that during COVID, they felt that care was weaker or poorer and it out led to worse outcomes for patients. And two thirds of those nurses still feel that those numbers haven't recovered and outcomes are still very poor for patients delivering care. So we haven't recovered, we're at a very different space, but I think not only is it different, I think we thought it was going to get better and I think we realized it's actually getting worse. There's uh, quite a few things like that. When the pandemic started in the first year or a year and a half, it seemed that now we're finally going to leverage technology, we're finally going to leverage telemedicine, and now everything's being reverted. But Rebecca, we spoke in 2018. That was, if I'm not mistaken, even before the Society of Nurse Scientists, Innovators, and Entrepreneurs, Leader Sonsiel, was created because it was founded in 2019. But I remember when news started uh, talking about how there's a renaissance going around in the nursing profession that now nursing are demanding the seat behind the table to be included in the decision making in the processes about how nursing should be done and what kind of working conditions nurses should have. So from that perspective, can we just continue a little bit on um, where are we now? Are nurses being listened to or not? You mentioned some of the quite troubling news, but at the same time, we also see that the number of travel nurses has increased dramatically. So speaking about the healthcare workforce generally, there's been a huge shift uh, during COVID because now doctors and nurses are going to telemedicine, to remote approaches, combining work working in the hospitals, working through agencies there. Alice, what do you think? What is your opinion of where nurses sit with regards to things today? You're still well, I, in, in the nursing profession. So, you know, you yes. can share why are you still there? I'm still there because I genuinely love taking care of people. Um, my, my story of why I went to nursing is because my dad died of a massive heart attack in an, an environment where there was health inequity, lack of services. And so my desire was to improve the workforce in that sense and help to create diversity and to help healthcare providers better take care of patients and from diverse backgrounds. So I, that's a fight that we're going we're, that's, we're still in and still have a long way to go. So, but I tr generally love patient care, but I will also say this as an advanced practice nurse, I've had the privilege of be, having one foot at the bedside, one foot in the boardroom and have had exposure to the leadership, the business side of nursing, which not many nurses get. I think nurses, we were trained and prepared to enter healthcare at the direct bedside to follow physicians' orders, to just be a busy bee, a worker bee. And that's, you know, when we entered COVID, that's where we were at. We have nurse leaders. Yes, we do. There are chief nursing officers, there are senior VPs in nursing. But I'm going to tell you this. Honestly, there are not enough nurses in leadership, in business to understand how the healthcare 
bubble works. It's not just nursing. We're a slice of the pie. And mind you, we are the largest segment of the healthcare workforce, which is why it just baffles me that how come there aren't more of us at the at the table being stakeholders in all of these decisions? Because that's where nursing falls short. We don't have enough leadership, development, entrepreneurship, those elements, because although I love taking care of patients, this is a business. It is a business. And at the end of the day, I think that's what many nurses during the pandemic have learned. Yes, we've had nursing shortage. We have workplace violence. We've had a shortage of healthcare providers. And these things have led to worse outcomes. But how do you really make change? They empower us to say, oh, you can make change at the bedside. Yeah, but I only have four patients. I can only change this. How do I change this at a grander scale? And you need to be in a position of power, of influence. You have to have money to make these decisions work. And I think now that we are slowly coming out of this pandemic, Yes, people want to return to normal, but healthcare is not going to return back to normal. We've seen too much to go back. We have. And now you see nurses, more travel nurses, people, more 1099 workers, people wanting to work from themselves. We've had the wool was taken over our eyes and we got to see, oh, wow, this is really what healthcare is about. I want to do this and I want to do that. And for so long, nurses have been have not been allowed to do that or have not at least been shown that we can do that. So now you have a lot of nurses who are curious who want to make change, who want to explore the business side of it. And so you're going to see different models of healthcare and delivery. And someone asked me this one time before, but I foresee that agencies actually going out of business and nurses becoming direct contractors with hospitals. I really see that in the future because we're too much of a workforce to contain. You can't contain us anymore. I think that it's really interesting. Just to give you an idea, there of all healthcare in, in the United States alone, there's 5 million nurses. It's the largest uh, healthcare workforce, but it's also the largest workforce in the United States. But in the United States, only 25% of leadership positions are led by nurses, which seems a little crazy because actually some of those numbers roll in nurse managers on hospital floors. In and of itself, the, there is a question on what true definition of leadership looks like. And I think that when you have a workforce that is so critical to healthcare, and in the United States specifically, Canada, and in most parts of the world, nurses are the hospital system. The reason that you're in a hospital, the reason you're in a nursing home in the United States or in other spheres is not because you needed surgery or you needed OT or PT. The reason you're there is your life is so at risk that without nursing care for that 24-7 kind of monitoring, you could die. And everything else could be done outpatient. And I think that this disconnect between the front line and the leadership is causing an incredible amount of tension and almost animosity between the leaders versus not. And there's a lot of reasons for that and ways to nurse Alice's fact that this is a business. Nurses are rolled into room rates here. They're strictly on the cost side of healthcare, which means more nurses equal more costs without associated revenue. So there's a misalignment that if hospitals aren't making money or not doing very well, they're going to cut nursing services, but they're not going to cut physician services or OT or PT because those are a billable service in the United States. I do think there has been a renaissance, Taja. And I think to Alice's point, a lot of nurses, because of COVID, we finally got a taste of what free market economic dynamics looks like. The value of nursing increased COVID dramatically for the first time ever, increased nurses' salaries across the board in a way that we've never seen. The average increase of nurses' salary prior to COVID was less than a 1.5% increase over a 20-year period. And in the United States, that's half the cost of living adjustments. So we were always making less than what you really needed to stay whole with the cost of inflation. Because of COVID, 
we saw the average nurse salary increase 5% over that time period across the board. Now, that's still different. The cost of living adjustment really said it was 8%. So we should have seen a bonus rate of 8%, but we saw some major adjustments. I don't, I think what we're going to see is very similar to what happened in the UK. Slightly disagree that I think a lot of nurses, and I would love to see, honestly, a lot more nurses start their own businesses, get out on their own. But I don't, I found so many nurses are a little bit risk averse. They want to know where their next paycheck's coming from. And they feel very uncomfortable about the business. But in the UK in 2011, we saw an incredible shift in the marketplace when they mandated nurse to patient ratios across the country, in which a third of the nursing workforce went and started to work for agency. And what that did was it shifted the power dynamics between the players in healthcare who had overseen the nursing workforce that led to an incredible increase in salaries, working conditions, and things around nursing. I think we may be seeing that kind of situation in the United States, but more, I'm actually more concerned with, more nurses aren't even thinking of going to agency. They're just leaving the profession in its entirety. And the average age of a nurse in the United States is 50% are over the age of 55. 70% are over the age of 40. But the scariest one is our new grads. We graduate 175,000 nurses a year. This last year, 70% of all nurses that graduated with this May no longer practice at the bedside. So we have a serious retention problem in our behavior. And our best, longest established knowledge nurses they're leaving. They're going to go work at Starbucks or Target. And that's not a, that is shocking to us. And they're doing it because one thing that also happened in the United States, and then I'll be quiet, is this year alone, they have criminalized being a nurse. They, a Vanderbilt nurse who made an unintentional medical error was found guilty criminally of an unintentional death of a patient. So they were faced with jail time. And just two weeks ago, the North Carolina Supreme Court upheld a ruling that if nurses follow a doctor's order and that patient dies, that nurse can be criminally charged, not the doctor, but the nurse for following those orders. So did the risk of becoming a nurse become too great in this country today? And that's what I'm most concerned about. When you mentioned that basically most graduates don't stay in the profession, what do you attribute that to? Is it just the working condition? Is it also the new generation that has different expectations of what a work environment should be? And continuing from there, do you see any good strategies that contribute to the retention of nurses in healthcare? Yeah, I think we don't have a shortage of nurses in the United States. I think we have a shortage of nurses willing to work in the environments that exist today. It's all coming down to culture, all lack of training, all throwing nurses out, less training, more responsibility, the acuity levels are up, the support systems aren't there, and the younger nurses that are coming out just do not feel safe in their practice. And they're saying, you know what, if I'm going to kill somebody by accident, by trying to save their lives... I just can't stay in this environment. And I, Alice, tell me what you're seeing, because I do think there's some good practices out there, but you jump in because I know you're in this space too. Yeah, I've been adjunct nursing faculty and even in my CNS role, responsible for the onboarding and training of um, nurses into new grads, new to specialty, and even experienced nurses into critical care. So I've had the privilege of teaching on pre-licensure and post-licensure side here. And I have to be, I mean, there's so many, so much I wanted to say, Rebecca, you, so much we have to unpack there. When it comes to nursing education, hands down, we do not have the quality of professors that we need to for the level of responsibility and quality of healthcare providers we desire to have. And I'm just going to speak quite candid. Many of our nursing faculty are those nurses who have retired from the 
bedside, if you will, and have gone into academia. Not all of them, but it, what it does is sometimes it creates a disconnect from what's actually happening in practice versus what we're teaching in school. Because you have someone who's teaching who's no longer practicing. So there is a major gap and nurse educators do not get paid what they are worth. They are so valuable and responsible for the vitality of our healthcare workforce to create and form and develop our new nurses that there's a shortage, they don't get paid well, There's a sh- they don't have the, all the faculties and facilities and resources that they need to teach. And there's, there's a business element also to nursing education, like push them out, push them out. Even if they don't do all that great, remediate and push them out, which is really a disadvantage to the student who then later becomes a nurse because the school will say, oh, the hospital will train you on all of these things and not worrying about it. And the hospital saying, hey, we have really high acuity. We need people who are coming out knowing many of these things. So I think we need to improve the relationship between our employers and the uh, our academic institutions. And something I know you can't pack much more into nursing school, at least it feels like, but maybe we need to. But I definitely believe there's the legality the, the legality component of it, because Rebecca, you brought up a good point. Are nurses being criminalized? Is the risk too high when you enter into nursing? And those two cases that you spoke of, the one about the Vanderbilt nurse, I'm going to push back a little bit, Rebecca, because I understand, yes, there was, the intent was not to harm a patient. However, this nurse did bypass the safety features that were in place. There were, and mind you, there were things that were broken. She was, she was not set up for success. Let's just be honest. She was a newer nurse. I think maybe less than total, maybe three years experience who was floating around the hospital, who was also precepting, was expected to provide care in an environment she was not familiar with, along with a medication barcoding system that was not working. She was not set up for success. But nurses, we have, we, we're, there's this pressure that's always on nurses to get it done. And nurses, we're innovators. We will jerry-rig a device to make it work. We are so creative at the bedside. But this was an, in, this was an instance where I wish this nurse would have just pumped the brakes and says, hold on, I can't, but there's this pressure to get it done. So I really would like nurses, we need to start this in nursing school to empower them, to exercise their voice, to say no in unsafe situations, instead of falling victim to the pressures of the work environment, because our work environment sucks. High acuity, people young at us, there's a push to, for patient flow to move through. We don't have all the equipment we need. So there's a lot of environmental factors. But again, at the end of the day, she chose to bypass a safety mechanism, which ultimately led to a bad patient outcome. And then, Rebecca, when you spoke about the nurse in North Carolina, how the Supreme Court overturned, the, the tricky thing about this, and this is why legal, and I don't know, a, a legal class needs to happen in nursing schools, because we need to dissect these things to talk about what really happened. So in the case that really triggered that decision, it was actually a CRNA. It was an advanced practice nurse. So this was the Supreme Court's inability to distinguish between an advanced practice nurse and a bedside nurse. So again, more noise in the background, things that we need to fix. But in this, in that particular situation, it was an advanced practice nurse who has the ability to diagnose, prescribe, interpret data and all of these things, who worked collaboratively with the physician, but the physician as well as the CRNA equally came to a, a regimen to provide a particular gas for the anesthesia versus giving like an, I think it was IV automate or something, but you know, that, so that advanced practice nurse, you can't, their scope of practice is different. Understanding what the plan of care should be, what medication should I prescribe? That's a provider versus a bedside nurse who's following an order. But yeah, that creates confusion as to what's going on. Cause you just say nurse, whether it's a certified registered nurse anesthetist 
or a registered nurse. They just lump them together. So I think there's a lot of confusion. We really need to take, gosh, where do I go with this? You need, we need to implement this kind of information and teaching in our nursing schools to empower our nurses how to be safe, how to feel empowered to push back, especially when it comes to safety issues, how to be defensive in the care that they provide, and also change that work environment where we don't feel like we have to follow orders, especially when we don't feel something's right. And then again, we're going to need leaders, not just in business and management, but in government, in policymaking, because in order to really change things to benefit, not just to benefit, but to be fair to nursing, because to whom much is given, much is required. That's true. But it's hard to do what's required if the people who are governing us are misinformed. And you mentioned technology several times in several contexts. So the fact that nurses are innovators, so they do workarounds to make the technology that they use work at the same time the digital health space, the tech space, the entrepreneurship space from the the side of nurses is increasing. So I'm really curious to to hear how do you see the whole space of tech for nurses? Because oftentimes decision support systems are aimed at prescribers. So what are some of the technologies that you see that are really advancing patient safety and the way the work of nurses is done well you know in, in the, okay thanks so in the hospital it's such a tech heavy environment when i entered nursing we still have paper charts so just know i've seen the evolution of all this in my 24 years of nursing and the healthcare record can is very valuable but it's only as valuable as the information we put in it and the initial design of these are engineers and tech people who are not necessarily healthcare providers. Now, mind you, we have more physicians and nurses, nurses entering that space. But even if, when we don't have those people, it's so critical that you bring, and I listen, I love leadership, but I need a bedside nurse. I need someone who's there doing the care, who can tell me, is this conducive to your workflow? Because if it's too many clicks, each click is an opportunity for an error. And is there a workaround? I worked with the team at Cedar Center Medical Center when we were rolling out Epic. And absolutely all the time, myself and our bedside nurses, we would all be in there. Okay, guys, figure out the Swiss cheese. Where's the hole in the system? And these nurses would really get it. So I think nurse, there's an opportunity for nurses to work with the tech world in helping to create a useful healthcare system. And like automating orders, automating things are very helpful. But as far as, and if I can switch gears just a little bit, not only is it helpful with helping to provide the care that we need to, right? to expedite things because it'll help catch labs and order sets and things like that make the workflow a little bit easier. But when it comes to training, I've seen this at some hospitals, the military does this and actually some educational um, institutions have it, but using VR to also technology to help train our workforce. And I love this. And I'm just going to show because I've been playing with this. I love this. I'm going to put this on so you guys can see me. I don't know if we're, but see this, this, so this particular thing that I have on my face here is called, it's an Oculus. And it is a VR system where, and there I have two handsets. I literally can enter the virtual world and I can train with healthcare providers anywhere, interdisciplinary in very high risk situations that we would not allow a nursing student and really discourage a practicing nurse from learning from because we want patient safety. We want the best outcomes. So this is not the time to tinker around. Well, I can tinker all I want to in the VR world in very high acuity situations. So this is, this technology is coming. 
it's coming, especially when we have a shortage places for nurses to train because we're trying to get more students in while we don't have all the clinical opportunities for them. And especially certain specialties, there's just a shortage. There's not enough PED sites. There's not enough OB sites, high acuity situations. We want our nurses to be prepared coming out of nursing school. This is an opportunity to use this type of technology to train not only them, but also practicing nurses and also get into a space where we can practice interdisciplinary work because nurses train with nurses, physicians train with physicians, RTs are over there. This allows us the opportunity for anyone in their bedroom to log on through VR and to train with the team. So I'm really excited about what's going to come and I'm hopeful that more hospitals and more institutions pick up this type of technology because we, we got to get here because we've seen through COVID, our world, everything can halt in a day. We can be shut down, but through VR, we are still able to continue training and learning and improving our workforce so we can get the quality of healthcare providers we need and for such a very high acuity population that we're seeing now. People are living longer, more chronic illnesses. So it's not just diabetes, high blood pressure. It's all mushed together. And so what does that look like? And using technology like this, these younger folks are coming in, they're born with iPhones in their hands. This They absorb technology so quickly. So let's take something they're familiar with, something they enjoy, and add um, the opportunity to educate and do professional development with it. Yeah, and I love that. I knew that they're doing it in physician-based training. Nursing is, for some reason, light years behind still. But I love this, and I love that you're pushing it forward. And I think, Taja, you're, you made a really good point. A lot of what's developed is developed for physicians because they're reimbursed and they're trackable along those lines. So right now, we know that an average nurse on a 12-hour shift within a hospital system is spending four hours of that 12-hour shift tied to documentation, tied to a computer that doesn't work well for them. A system that took paper charting and just made it digital does not meet digital transformation. And I have to tell you, we know this is burning out the workforce. And to the point that Alice made before, the reality is that nurses do a ton of workarounds because the technology that has been brought out, it was not designed for them. And if they did engage with nurses, to your point, often it wasn't those on the front lines. And to be honest, there is a whole push and pull in healthcare where hospitals are like, look, if you're going to get access to my nurses, you need to give us IP in this because we're giving you all the insights on how this is going to work better as nurse Alice said. So all that Swiss cheese that you figure out, so your product's going to be worth billions, we want a portion of it. And there's a lot of misalignment on where the dollar stops. But I have to tell you the one place the dollar is not stopping is with the nurse, right? They're not investing in the nurse in these processes, or are they paying them to give those feedback? So I think when you're looking at technology, most nurses view technology today as it interacts with their work and the hospital or the nursing home as a barrier to doing their job. They hate the technology they work with, right? It creates more work for them. It doesn't create less. Every time new technology comes, it's, hey, it's going to create less work for you, but it creates more work for the nurse. And it's not like they trim back anything else that they have to do. And I talk to entrepreneurs every step of the day who come out with a new app, who come out with a new technology. And when you drill it down, you're like, so who's going to manage your technology? And they're like, oh, it's just technology. And always at the end of the day, it's the nurse who's holding that technology that they have to manage. So I think that there is a great disconnect between those inventing technology and the implications that it has for a workforce who cannot manage any more technology, right? Unless you start taking away some of that technology. And what I think is about to happen, what I think you're going to start seeing, maybe for good or bad, 
I think we're going to start seeing the nursing workforce start being fragmented out. We're going to start seeing less skilled workforces coming in and doing a portion of the nursing job so that they can focus on the things that drive the revenue for organizations, which is going to be the charting. So they're going to take away med pass, perhaps, and give them to med aides to do medication passes. So there's more time for the nurse to do something else. And I think in all honesty, due to what I hate to say is that next generation not choosing nursing right now and coming in, we're going to see that nurses in a good sense may go to the top of their license, but I'm not sure the impact to care. And I think some of this will also be technicians will be trained to manage this technology, not the nurse, because nurses will be focused on doing the wound care, the managements, the drug management, the changes of status, the, the direct care that is lacking when you tie them up with the technology. So I think there's a, going to be a really interesting alignment. But also one of the things that I think we also see is just because you have great technology, systems are not going to implement it unless it's 200 times better than the system that they're currently using, because it has been so painful of what's happened in the last five years. And the costs have been so great that systems are going to invest in these technologies in a major way because of the impact of the system. Given that you work a lot with entrepreneurs and actually nurse entrepreneurs, so, you know, the experts in what the real problems are, I really wonder what are perhaps some of the technologies that you are excited about? I must say it was, I guess, unfortunately, a little bit amusing to me when you said that there's so much technology and everything is useful. And I recently had a discussion with a clinician about a software, and then I asked him if he doesn't use an app for something because you know there's an app for everything today and he was like I've got 300 easy to use apps on my iPhone I'm done with them I don't want to scroll through those apps anymore so everything's easy to use and yeah but there's when there's just too many things it's not user-friendly anymore so what is uh, useful because I really hope that you would have something more positive to say after four years since we first spoke, you know, about the innovation and how it's improving the nursing profession. Oh, goodness. So, I, Alice, you can jump in here too. I do think there has been some improvements. I think Vocera created a really great communication system that's working better for nurses than it did when it first rolled out for me. It was a disaster mm -hmm. when they first rolled out for me. It's better. I think our EHRs are getting better. But I don't think what I've seen is any technology that has rolled out that has truly decreased the workload on the nurses or made their work life better, with the exception of one area. And this is where it comes into my world today. I work for a company called IntelliCare, which is a per diem staffing company within long-term care, tech-enabled. Our founders are tech guys. They looked at the work-life balance of nurses, how we scheduled them, how we created 12-hour shifts. We booked them three months in advance. There is no flexibility. You ask for a day off and you don't get it as a nurse. And they invented technology that made it so easy to use to pick up a shift when and where and how nurses wanted that we took a workforce that was not scaling. And those who work for us, who thought they would work one shift a month with us, work on average five shifts a month because we've made it so easy. So the reality is there, because of some of these staffing agencies and companies out there, we saw the first real revolution and renaissance, as you would say, in a way that nurses could actually take back control of their life and find love again for their profession because their profession didn't get so much in the way of their life that they were able to scale it in a way that worked for them. 
And without technology, that was impossible. So I think if there is one highlight in the last three years that really has been adopted, at least in this area of per diem and travel, these companies invested millions in the nursing workforce, a way that systems never had and never will. They wanted to empower nurses to work smarter, not harder, but also in a way that made them feel great about being a nurse again. So I think in that sense, we did see something really positive. But I'll tell you, I have not seen any other massive example in nursing that has impacted the profession. I think there's hope, as Nurse Alice said, along the lines of education and training. But Alice, can you think of any other major technology outside of that that really has blown away change in this space for nurses? I'm not going to say it's blown away, blown us away, but there are a few things that I have found helpful. But the unfortunate thing is these are this is technology that's not available at every hospital because not every hospital can afford them. Now at your tertiary level one academic institution, they have these type of things. There are Alaris pumps that now talk to computer systems. So when there is an order that's placed for a change in an IV rate, you can put something in the computer, it changes, goes to the pump and it automatically changes it. And at the end of the day, when I need to tally my I's and O's, it can literally pull the data off of the IV pump. Something like that. Very, It's a small thing, but it's a little thing that's off of my plate. And that can actually decrease errors because I usually get the order, then I have to go to the pump and make the change. And heaven knows, do I make the, maybe I don't catch that or I don't get, I can't get to the room for three hours. I saw the order, but I can't get to the room for three hours. Where now on the computer, your computer and your IV pump are now talking. So you have to have a smart pump. Those pumps are very expensive. And I'll tell you now with the variety of pumps out there, many hospitals are just choosing the basics. And so they don't have that. And then something that's not newer, but I've seen kind of fine tune is the, again, the talking of the computer to your pumps as far or your monitor, as far as your like your blood pressures, your vital signs and things like that, talking to the computer. So in event that there's code blue, I don't have time to document even afterwards. No one, I always hated there's a code that, oh my gosh, I got to go back and recollect all this data, try to figure out the exact time that it happened. And then put all this on paper where now the computer can talk to your monitor. So all you got to do is run the vitals, and then it pulls the data into the computer. Something like that I can see has been helpful in removing some of the tedious work from nursing. But outside of that, I, I can't think of anything that's been like earth shattering or moving as far as the world of nursing. Rebecca, you made a good point that when it comes to our electronic health record, I don't know who these powers that be that design these things like, oh, here, nursing, try this. And we're looking at it like, I got to click eight times to something that I just took me five seconds to do before. You have to make it conducive to the workflow. Otherwise, it's not going to get followed. It's going to be a point of frustration. It's going to actually lead to probably more problems and errors and dissatisfaction than anything. And even really prompt the nurse to even want to more uh, leave the bedside. So I mean, I'm with the games. I like the V. I know it's not a game, but it's taking a gaming component and something enjoyable and moving it into training. And that, that that's something that, that I, I think is going to be really exciting. And Alice, I think you hit on something really smart, only that top systems are doing this. And again, Taja, it ties back to when you invest in nursing and hospital systems, it's investing in what they see as a cost center 
So they're not going to invest in it, right? Businesses don't invest in costs. They don't make, they're not going to invest all these expensive pumps to make nurses' life easier because it really isn't going to chase their reimbursement model, right? They already have the nurse there. It's great that it may talk to each other, but the truth is that it doesn't drive revenue. And the problem is, as long as nurses remain on the cost side of healthcare systems, that investment into technology that make nurses' life better, easier, more efficient are largely going to be avoided in healthcare systems because it's a sunk cost that may speak to soft cost savings. And in business, there's soft costs and there's hard costs and there's hard revenue and soft revenue. And nobody will pay attention to that soft side of the business. And that's unfortunately where nursing is. So you want to know why technologies haven't been adopted and scale in these ways is unfortunately it comes down to, as Alice had said before, this is a business of healthcare. And because we cannot operate or functionalize nursing in a meaningful way, and I'm letting you know, I'm spending a lot of time with Medicare reimbursement models to change these models that date back for 100 years that have kept the nursing entrenched in a really what they saw as policies that when they were invented in the 1930s, when insurance came together to keep nurses as far away from the money as possible in hospital systems, this sort of sexist, antiquated model has dominated Uh, nursing. And because of it, leadership positions, reinvestment in the workforce, and the ability to invest in better technologies or systems that work better for nurses. So that's some of the stuff Mm -hmm. we're tackling, and it's going to be a big fight. But this is why I think that we haven't seen those movements. But to your point, when you talk to doctors, and you're like, oh, look, they got all this VR, and they got all this new voice recording technology for EHRs, and there's all this amazing new surgical equipment that came on with the newest surgeon. They do that because it's a revenue generator. And for nurses, it just isn't which is a sad fact. I agree with Rebecca so much. Rebecca, I'll just throw in this another thing. Unless there's a, some very large uh, sentinel event, that's exactly. the only other time that's going to trigger a change like that. So- and a sentinel event, Taja, just to let you know, is a death, an adverse event. It's a death of a patient that caused that health system to pay off a huge sum of money. So they will invest. So if they don't have to make that settlement again. Yeah. Liability issues. But yeah, Alice, just a quick comment to everything that you said. I guess integrations should be the new goal if anyone wants to make the work of nurses easier. Given that you still work a lot with patients and you, as the America's favorite nurse, also talk about behavioral change and how healthcare of individuals could be improved. I really wanted to ask you, did you see anything or is there anything that kind of inspires you from the tech side on that end? So chronic patient care management. Is there anything that inspires me? Oh my gosh. I almost... Or that you find was useful because there's again, okay. hundreds of apps, hundreds of approaches. So be honest, if I'm just like looking for what's beyond the hype. Okay. Oh gosh, that's going to be a tough one because we have so much work to do. One thing I will say with the electronic health record, it has made discovery of patient information a lot easier versus having to sift through paper charts and things like that. Things get lost, but now having electronic health record, it's it's intended to make the discovery of patient information a lot easier and a lot easier to transfer amongst providers. So I will say I am still hopeful of that coming to full fruition. There are lots of barriers because during the Obama administration, when they came up with the Affordable Care Act, there was an element of that was supposed to make the electronic health record meaningful. And sometimes it's meaningful in one organization, but it doesn't talk to another system, which I find just amazing how I can be on the internet and talk to people from all countries of the world 
and Dropbox and all of these other systems being able to transfer large pieces of information. Now, I know it's healthcare information, so we have to be sensitive. It needs to be secure. It needs to be safe. But why is it we are still struggling with the transferring of important health information? For example, in part of my role, I also do critical care transport. So I'm often transporting a patient from one facility to a higher level of care because they are very sick and they need some emergent surgery or a specialty service. But the medical records from that smaller institution come to me in a big old packet with discs. And, and I'm like, who's going to sort through all that in a, in a high acuity, high risk situation where we need data now? It just baffles me why we can't take that information, take what's meaningful and transfer it electronically. So boom, that last chest x-ray or MRI pops right on up for the next provider who's coming because Mr. Jones has had a stroke where transferring is going to have some amazing high-tech surgery to extract the clot. That brain surgeon is going to need to see those imaging and vital information quickly, but it doesn't happen. And that time is tissue and that leaves lost information, repeated tests, which increases the cost of healthcare. And it's just the most frustrating thing for me. So I know you asked me what inspired me. Healthcare record is promising, but I need it, I, I need it to do so much more. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's, we're here to get a realistic yeah. insight into how far things are, but I yeah. guess it's an The reason why that's important is because there, there are instances of preventable death that people, there are certain death, people that didn't necessarily have to die. Had the data been readily available, it could have changed the course of treatment, the timeliness of treatment. Maybe there was something that was omitted that was assumed to have been done and vice versa. So it's really not just to make the workflow easier, but to improve the quality of care. And my understanding is when the electronic health record came, that was the purpose of it, to make it meaningful for providers to make transfer of information quicker. Um, and it just hasn't come to full fruition. Rebecca, I don't know. What do you think? No, absolutely. And I think that's what the promise versus the reality on so much of the technology. And I think that was just so well said. Everything that is promised very rarely is delivered when it comes to technology as it is implemented today, at least in healthcare, which is so different to your point. If you looked at the apps we use on our phone, to your point, too many of them, but the ones that we use make our life better and they meaningfully uh, impact our lives in a way that without them, we would be worse off. And that doesn't happen in healthcare today. Often the technology we use meaningfully impacts us in the opposite way. Or it's so narrow in focus that to the point is that you can't give us 50,000 different independent population health apps to manage one small segment in a way effectively. And I think that's why we're seeing why so much failed in the population health movement, because healthcare is a complex environment. No two situations are often the same. And because of that, without using large scale data inferences, which are we're largely blocked out of things to the current laws with the round our EHRs, we don't get real time data. And I know you're a lot of your other guests speak about that in time data, which is controlled by the EHRs. So I have a lot of hope for the fire API integrations that perhaps as opposed to doing retrospective data that we get from payers, if we can actually use EHR data to Alice's point, real time data saves lives. Retrospective data is a nice to have, but you still have misses. And so when we're talking about this, and I think the powerful thing is, nurses are always looking at what's best for the patient, how are we gonna drive outcomes? And a lot of the technology that we're using today feels like it worsens outcomes for patients because it delays cares or transmissions of data don't get to us at the right point at the right time. And that's everything when you're standing in front of a patient who's living between life and death by a matter of minutes. 
Perhaps as a final question, I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but still, if I ask again, what are perhaps some of the things that you wish would be different as the first priority? And what do you look forward to in the next few years in terms of the nursing profession? Is it going to be an actual renaissance of what the workforce conditions are or something else? Do you want to go first, Rebecca? No, go ahead, Alice. If you have an idea formulated here, it's a <laughs> question. I know. So I think obviously we have a lot to do in in the healthcare workforce. My fear is that we are going to run out of a workforce if we don't take care of the the pipeline. So I really want to see, um, and I'm hopeful that this has happened, change in our delivery of uh, nursing education. We learned during the pandemic that things can get shut down in an instance. How do we continue to train and train appropriately for the environment that these nurses are going to be working in that we've seen that you had new grads coming out working with ventilators that just got a 45 minute orientation on how to work with ventilators. Now I would not wish that on anyone, right? Cause I want the patient to be safe and I want the nurse to be safe as well, but I'm hopeful that there will be a good look at the delivery of our health, of our nursing education that we look at incorporating more technology in its use. One of the most challenging things is sometimes just getting to campus for lecture. So during the pandemic, we had a lot of instructors using Zoom and things like that. And actually, um, a- anecdotally, anecdotally, many of the students reported because they were at home and in a more comfortable environment, they were able to, they enjoyed their classroom pieces a lot more. So they were more engaged in that sense. But then when it came to skills, when it came to campus, that's where things fell short. And they fell short because we had a shortage of simulation instructors because we were not allowed to really enter into the hospital. So the incorporation of things like VR, now mind you, you still got to touch a patient. You still, you're always going to have to touch a patient. But in those moments where we can't, what is the next best thing? And I think that's including virtual AI, virtual reality in our training. And so these devices aren't aren't cheap. That's kind of like the iPhone. The iPhone's not cheap either. With the, whenever technology is introduced, it can be very expensive. Hopefully with the mass rollout and adoption of these, these are things that can be incorporated into our nursing programs and also, with those change, hopefully we can skin some time to incorporate some of the, I don't know if I'm saying this, the legal classes. And I don't know, what you call those classes, Rebecca? Classes where people can learn to be defensive. Legal in regulatory. Yeah, legal regulatory, defensive documentation classes. Yeah, I just think it's also scope of practice and defending one's license. And I, yes. so I, I don't know what you would all, but that sort of bundles everything into that. That's my hope. I'm hopeful that nursing education can kind of get a redo and improve its processes and systems. So when we actually produce these nurses, they are actually coming out of school feeling better prepared. And that we also improve that handoff with hospitals as they, as they graduate, pass their NCLEX and move into their new grad orientation that they work collaboratively with each other. I don't know why they don't do that. I just, it just seems like it's a no brainer to me, but I, it's all a business. It's all a business. And I think we have to look at how we can make it a win-win for everyone in this situation. Now, I think, I think, Alice, you're right. And I think that, Taja, I think you're sensing from Alice and I, there is a sense of 
fatigue and concern about our profession coming. I don't think it's just unique to us. I think you're seeing a sense of burnout across industries. I don't think it's just ours. And I know that when we talked in 2018, I was so hopeful for the nurse innovation movement. Like we were seeing such momentum. And one of the greatest things we did during the pandemic with Sansia and Microsoft got behind us to run four virtual hackathons because the nurses were innovating on the front lines. And then we were doing meetups. And what happened is all these nurses who were the only ones in the hospitals, the only ones in the nursing homes, because all the administrators and all the doctors had run to the other side of those walled off rooms. They were calling us as they were heading into their shifts and leaving their shifts and on their shifts. And they were saying, everything that we know is not working. <laughs> Healthcare is breaking down. And they were innovating there. And they were the ones who saved patients' lives. They were flipping them over on their stomachs. They were taking IV pumps out to the X. They were the ones hooking up iPads to do remote monitoring of these patients. They were innovating and they were becoming leaders. They were building the remote hospitals. They were the ones, the reason that healthcare survived during COVID. It's the only reason. And they advanced in their professions and they had these massive leadership roles and they were making all of the decisions and their pay was going up and they were being heard for the value that they had in healthcare. And suddenly the pandemic comes and people start going back in their offices and they're pushing nursing back and away. And I think those nurses who had that moment, that Renaissance moment, were as dark as it was in COVID, they became this hero. And all I hear from nurses right now is we went from hero to zero to now being criminals in the matter of two years. And how do you take back that incredible enlightenment? How did you take back that renaissance when nursing really did, and you've taken it all away from them? So I'm going to tell you, hey, people ask me, Rebecca, would you tell your kids to become a nurse? And I say, we have a long road ahead of us, such a long road. But if they are up for the challenge, we're going to need really brilliant nurses like Nurse Alice and others to take hold of this profession and start to morph it and give it a voice and a strength and a position forward because it is the greatest profession there is out there if you want to make a difference in people's lives. It is the only profession I can tell you that empathy and science and art and history and advancements of the future all come together in a single moment that define that patient's entire expectancy on if they're getting home safely. You're not going to have that anywhere else. And that is a beautiful thing. But if your audience hears this, the one thing that I can ask for is I hope that there are going to be a tremendous amount of champions that come forward and say, all these hospital systems out there who are paying their executives millions of dollars, there's private investment groups behind these nonprofits who are making lots of money. But you know what? Wait times are going up and nursing staff is getting cut. But they start advocating for nurses. They start saying we need to invest in nurses at the bedside as well as in education that are coming down the pipeline because without nurses, not only do I know want to know what would happen to healthcare, I don't know what happened to the fabric of our world if there weren't nurses in it. Because I think we make the world a better place. Very few people I know step across a threshold where the risk in front of them is means that their life is as risk of, as that patient is, and they did it. Because while everybody else stayed home and clapped from their balconies, it was those nurses who went in. And to me, let's hope history doesn't erase that. And let's hope that history actually changes the tide that we're seeing in the next two years to give nurses more opportunity. And I guess that's what I'm the most hopeful for. And we'll see if it happens. And we're fighting for it, right, Alice? <laughs> we're getting yeah, out there. We're definitely fighting. Thank you both for the discussion. I will just stop recording. If